Revelation 2, chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favour. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good evening, church. My name is Paul, if I haven't met you. It's great to be here. Uh, our question tonight is this. Uh, what does the Lord Jesus Christ think about his church? What does the Lord Jesus Christ say about his church? Let, let, let's personalise it. What does the Lord Jesus Christ think about 7pm church at Kiribati? What, what would he say about us? Uh, do you remember many years ago when you were at school and your teacher handed you that little envelope twice a year with your school report in? And you sheepishly handed it to your parents and that, that flutter of anxiety, you know, what would my teacher say? Is it, is it true? Is it fair? The reality is that, that that follows you all your life because you have these annual report, performance reviews at work where your, your boss sits you down and, you, and gives you a, a report on how you've done that year and you're thinking, is, is, this, is this right? Is this true? Is it fair? Happens at church. If you go onto Google and Google the Bridge Church, you have these Google reviews of these random people who've been to our church once but they feel they know this church, they give it a rating, one star, two star, three star, four star, five star. You think, is, is this right? Is this fair? A few years ago at 3.30 church here, actually, about five minutes before church started, in walked the Archbishop of Sydney. And I have to admit, my heart went, oh my goodness. What's he going to think of our church? What will he say about our church? At 10 a.m. Church, church, a number of years ago now, uh, in walked the then Prime Minister, Kevin Rudd. And I was preaching that morning, and I'm thinking, what's he going to think about our church? What would he say about our church? And then it struck me. Now, who cares what the Prime Minister thinks? Who cares what the Archbishop thinks? Way more important is what the Lord Jesus Christ thinks, isn't it? If the risen, reigning, ruling king of this universe... What he thinks about this church is way more important than what the archbishop, the prime minister, or any Google reviewer thinks about our church, yes? So what does he think about our church? We're in the book of Revelation, and just to remind you, that word revelation, it means to unveil, to unveil. In chapter 1, Jesus has unveiled that, that he is the, the ruling, 
redeeming, reigning, risen king. And chapters 2 and 3, you get these seven letters to these seven churches. So the Apostle John writes seven letters to real churches in real cities in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And, and just to remind you, that the, the word church, it, it literally means, to, means ecclesia, it means a gathering the gathering of God's people, people who have been called by God, are out of sin, redeemed by Jesus Christ, and are gathered together to worship God. So he's not writing about institutions or denominations or buildings. He's talking about people. And the number seven in Revelation, it means complete. And so this is God's word, what he thinks about his global church. These letters are applicable for every church in every generation, in every city, all around the world today. And if church is about people, it means they're applicable to you here at 7pm and to us as a church. Uh, each letter has the same basic pattern. Just so you know this, it starts with Christ. And it begins with a description of the Lord Jesus Christ taken from Revelation chapter 1. His majesty, his glory. Then you've got a commendation. What's good about this church? Well done church, this is great. But then you've got this, this criticism or this complaint or this condemnation. This is bad. This is not good. This needs to change. And it's fascinating that only two churches have no condemnation. There's no such thing as a, a perfect church, is there? And then you've got a correction. So this is how, you, how to change. This, this is your KPIs, church. And it ends with this certainty, this promise from Revelation 21 and 22 about eternal life. So each of these seven letters are like a little mini revelation from Revelation 1 to Revelation 22. But they've all, they've all got the same phrase in it, and, and we're going to look at this now, uh, chapter 2, verse 7. They've all got this same phrase, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, God is saying, listen up, church. Open your ears, church. You need to hear this, church. I just want to start this sermon tonight by saying that, listen up, church. Will you come each week with your ears open to what the Spirit might want to say to us as a church? Please don't hear these sermons and always think about another church down the road somewhere who needs to hear this. Oh yeah, that's like that church. What's God going to say to us as 7pm church, as the bridge church? And perhaps more confronting, what's God going to say to you personally? How's the Spirit of God going to speak to you through these letters? So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that what your Spirit says to your churches may be faithfully taught. And we pray that we might have ears to hear the humility to receive it and the obedience to act on it. In Jesus' name. Amen. 2 verse 1, to the angel, to the messenger, to the heavenly being of the church in Ephesus. That's our church, like the church of Ephesus. Ephesus was a, was a fabulous city. This wonderful, big, bustling, cosmopolitan city. It was a, it was a capital city of Asia Minor of the day. It's kind of like your Paris, New York, Rome, Sydney. It's this, this centre for tourism and trade. Everyone went to Ephesus. They loved Ephesus. Uh, there was fine dining, there was theatres, there were restaurants. 
And it was this, this center of religion because in Ephesus you had the, the largest temple in the ancient world, this temple to Artemis. They, they worshipped the so-called goddess Diana, a fabulous city. And there were churches there because the apostle Paul had taken the gospel there on his second and his third missionary journeys. He preached the gospel, he established churches. And we're told in Acts chapter 19 and 20 that Paul spent two and a half years in Ephesus and he taught the whole council of the word of God. And this church in Ephesus, it was, it was on fire for mission. We're told that, that through the Ephesians, the whole of Asia Minor heard the gospel. Praise God for that. And the leaders of this church, who wouldn't be part of this list? This church was, was founded by the Apostle Paul. It was led by Timothy. They were taught by Apollos. They were served by Priscilla and Aquila. And then his old age, the Apostle John went to be a pastor there. What a great list of leaders that is. Paul, Timothy, Apollos, Priscilla, Aquila, and the Apostle John. You're thinking, wow, this church is going to be incredible. Five-star rating on Google. <laughs> Except it's not. There's lots that's good about it, but there's one massive issue. Let's start with Christ. What's the picture of Christ here? Verse 1, I love verse 1. These are the words of him, that is Jesus, who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. So, so Jesus holds the seven stars, which are the seven angels of the seven churches. And the word for hold is the word he clasps, he grasps. And so you're supposed to imagine a coin in your hand where you're holding it tightly and it's so secure. It's saying the Lord Jesus Christ, he holds your church so secure. You're so safe in the arms of Jesus because he's the senior pastor. He's the good shepherd of the church. He holds the church. And then verse 1, he walks among the church. Literally, he walks to and fro. It's like Jesus walking up and down the aisles through these chairs, seeing you, examining you. But look at those two words in verse 2. He says, I know. Every letter has those two words, I know. I know, says Jesus. I hope you know that Jesus is the only person in the entire world who can say, I know. He's the only person who knows everything. He's the only person who's omniscient. He's the only person who knows you perfectly and knows us completely. And that is so humbling, isn't it? Because it's so easy, you know, to, to play the part, to pretend in church. But Jesus knows. Jesus knows who's here tonight and who's not here. He knows why you're here. He knows why you're not here. He knows what you do. And scarily, he knows why you do it. He knows everything about us. I wonder what he'd know about the Bridge Church at 7 p.m. I wonder what he'd know about you personally. And what I love about these letters is that the Lord Jesus Christ, he doesn't talk about the stuff that we talk about. He doesn't say, oh, I love what you've done here at Kiribati Church. I love these chairs and those two tones of wood. <laughs> and I love the carpet. And oh, I love your air conditioning. Praise God for air conditioning. And the lighting here is so stunningly beautiful. And I don't really like that new song with that dull tune. And he doesn't care about that stuff. Because what Jesus cares about is your souls, not the stuff that we talk about. 
So what does he commend them for? What's the commendation? There's heaps to be thankful for. If you walked into this church and all this stuff was happening, you think, wow, this is a great church. It is a great church. He says, I know your deeds. I know your deeds, verse 2, your, your hard work and your perseverance. He commends them for their deeds. He says, I know how hard you are working for the gospel. I know how sacrificial you are with your time and your talents. You're such a busy church. You're such an active church. There's an energetic church. There's a, there's a beehive of activities, a smorgasbord of programs. You've got a very full calendar. And they had. Can you imagine this church? They had kids' ministries. They had youth ministries. They had men's ministries. They had women's ministries. They had midweek connect groups. Uh, they had a, a heart for the poor and the needy. They went down to the housing commission, to the aged care. Uh, they loved evangelism. They were up into walk of evangelism. They had alpha courses, Christianity explore courses. They had a, a heart for global mission, 24 mission partners. They had a, an extraordinary website. And you're thinking, wow, this church, there's so much stuff happening. And Jesus says, well done, church. Jesus says, well done, church. And I think you need to hear this. Working hard for Jesus is a great thing. Because sadly, the narrative today in too many churches is don't work too hard. And it's all about burnout and all about balance and all about paying the professional pastors, but, but don't work too hard. But Jesus says, well done. Well done for working hard. And maybe you're here tonight and that's just the encouragement that you need right now. Because maybe you are working tirelessly for the kingdom and you're tired and exhausted and you think no one sees and no one cares. Well, Jesus sees and Jesus cares. Or maybe it's a rebuke. Maybe years and years and years you just sat and sat and kept these seats warm, but you haven't worked hard for the kingdom. He commends their deeds. He commends their discernment. He says, well done, you are doctrinally sound and you're very discerning. In verse 2, he says, I, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you found them false. He's saying, good on you, church. Well done for being so doctrinally sound. Now, I love this. He, Jesus commends them for being intolerant. Uh, tolerance is a buzzword of our age, isn't it? Seems a great virtue, but Jesus is saying, no, no, there is such thing as right and wrong and true and false. And so when you get false teaching in church, you've got to confront that. You've got to be intolerant of wrong teaching. Because in Ephesus, these, these so-called super apostles came in, these itinerant preachers, and they peddled a false gospel, and that was damaging and it's dangerous. He says, well done for being so discerning. They, they test the claims, verse 2. They, they tested, they sifted, they, they weighed what was being taught. They searched the scriptures and they held on to what is true and they rejected what is false. And I imagine in Ephesus they would hold conferences on biblical theology and they'd run deeper courses and they'd run a preaching course and they would hold all these amazing word-centered ministries because they were so flipping biblically discerning. And Jesus said, well done. And that's a good thing, is it, to be discerning. I do hope that you come to church Sunday by Sunday with your discerning ears on. Uh, whoever stands up to open the word of God here at the Bridge Church, I hope you've got your Bible open saying, is this what the word says? 
I hope you're not impressed by delivery or style or passion, but you're more concerned about content. It's good to be discerning. Not, not just beliefs, but behavior. Because belief always impacts behavior for good or for bad. That was the issue in verse 6. He says, you have this in your favor. Well done, Ephesian church. You, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. They don't hate people, they hate practices. And then, then no one really knows who the Nicolaitans were. They, they could have been followers of Nicholas of Antioch in Acts chapter 6. We don't really know. But what's clear is that these people, they, they overemphasized grace. They pushed grace to the extreme. They, they used grace as a license for liberty. They, they basically said, church, you can do what, whatever you want. Just sin it up. Because God's a God of grace. He won't mind. And so in this church, you had sexual promiscuity. They had immorality. Because, hey, we're forgiven. We're marked by grace. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Well done, church, for not tolerating sin. So let me ask you, are we discerning like this as a church? In what you hear and what you see. When you see people slipping into sin, are you loving enough to confront them? Because that is a good thing to do. What about the stuff that you read? I hope you don't walk into Kurong and think every book in Kurong is biblically true. It's not. The podcasts you listen to, the YouTubes that you watch, they're full of heresy. So be discerning about what you read and what you watch and what you listen to. Jesus commends them for their deeds, for their discernment and for their diligence. He says, well done for persevering, well done for being steadfast, even suffering. Verse 3, you persevered and you have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. He says, good on you, church. Again, we don't know what the opposition was, but it was really hard to be a Christian in Ephesus because that was a centre of pagan religion. Now, this sounds like an amazing church, doesn't it? Packed programme, countless ministers, biblical discerning, super sound, and suffering for Jesus. And you think, I want to be part of that church. Except, I reckon on Google it would have got one star or maybe zero. There's a little word in verse 4. It's not a good word. Verse 4, yet, but, nevertheless. It's like when you're having your performance of you and you've got, this is good, this is good, this is good, but. But. Jesus says, yet I hold this against you. Let those words sink in. The risen, reigning Jesus holds this against this church. This is massive. See, it's perfectly possible to have all the programs, all the biblical papers, all the ministers, all the missionaries, all the courses, all the conferences, and yet not have Christ. Think about that statement. It's possible to have programs and papers and courses and conferences, but not have the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not a church. Because they've lost the love for Jesus. That's the criticism, and it's so confronting Verse 4, yet you have forsaken the love you had at first. You've lost your love for Jesus. You no longer love Jesus like you used to love him. You've forsaken him. That's the word. You've abandoned him. You've departed from Christ. You've left your love. Your love has grown cold. 
You've left your love, the first one. That's what it literally says. Uh, there's a massive debate. Is he talking about love for Jesus, love for people, love for, other, love for non-believers? That's irrelevant. You know, love for other people always flows out of a love for Jesus. And this so-called church had left behind their, their first love, their love for Jesus. That's scary, isn't it? This is so scary, church. They, they have all the deeds but no devotion. They're incredibly discerning, but they've lost their delight. They're a word-centered church, but they haven't got a love-saturated heart. They're super sound, but Jesus has been left on the back burner. They had everything, everything you could imagine except for the most important thing, which is Christ. Now, how does this happen? How does a church lose its first love? It does happen all the time, you know. I, I don't know, maybe, maybe they just presumed. They just presumed that everyone kept on loving Jesus. We do, we do that all the time, don't we? We just sign up for ministry, sign up to serve, and nobody bothers to ask you, how's your love for Jesus? We just take it for granted. Maybe they were disappointed or disillusioned with Jesus. They felt let down by Jesus. But rather than actually talking about that, they just went into pretend mode. Let's turn up at church, let's sing, let's pray, let's sweep it under the carpet, but it's all, all hypocrisy. Maybe it was pride. Maybe this church thought that they had worked out how to do the perfect church. We've got the five M's. We've got mission, maturity, and membership, and ministry. We've got church sorted. We know the church really, really well. We can just press and repeat, press and repeat, and get planted all over, all over Sydney. Maybe their pastors were excellent at productivity, but they were lacking in prayerfulness. Or maybe they just got busy. So busy doing good stuff that Jesus got squeezed out. We, we don't know. But the sad reality is they'd lost their love for Jesus. Jesus, you don't love me like you did at first. You don't love me like you used to love me. You ever been in love? You ever fallen in love with somebody? You can, you can tell when someone falls in love because they, they talk endlessly about this person in their life. And they, they long to spend every waking hour with this person. And then their behavior starts to change. They do crazy things like stop at the florist and buy flowers or, or buy new clothes or wear cologne. And you're thinking, whoa, what's happening to this person? And then they announce that they're dating and no one's no one surprised because you spot it a mile away. But the, the reality with human love is that sadly too often it starts to fade. And what was romance becomes routine and you start to take each other for granted. And it's the same with Jesus. Remember the first time when you fell in love with Jesus? Remember that time when you talked about Jesus constantly. I couldn't stop talking about this person called Jesus and I would tell my mum and my brother and my sister and my family and my friends. Everyone just heard about Jesus and I couldn't stop reading the Bible. I bought a new Bible. I got every day with Jesus notes and I bought some journals and I'd get up early and I'd make notes about Jesus and I was endlessly at church, you know, morning, noon and night, prayer meetings and small group meetings and I was desperate, desperate, desperate to live for Jesus. And so I'd confessed my sins and met with someone. I was accountable to somebody. I just wanted to be holy and set apart for Jesus. I was in love with Jesus. But then sadly, too often that fades. 
and we take him for granted. Can you imagine turning to your spouse if you're married and saying, darling, I don't love you anymore. Oh, it's okay, nothing will change. We'll live in the same house, we'll sleep in the same bed, we'll eat at the same table, we'll raise our kids together, we'll have dinner parties together, and we'll go on holidays together. No one will know, externally it will look exactly the same, but you need to know I don't love you anymore. That would be devastating, wouldn't it? And Jesus says that's what we've done to him. We do, we do all the externals, we, we come to church, we sing, we pray, we lead connect groups, we help at Greenway, but our hearts can be so, so, so far away from Jesus, I don't love him anymore. And it breaks God's heart because the church is his bride that he won at a price. He loves us with his endless, lavish love. He laid down his life for us. And his love for us never, ever, ever grows cold. And I hope you know this 7pm, that Jesus wants your devotion not your deeds. He wants your delight more than your discernment. And he wants your heart, not just your head. And he wants these, these fierce flames of love for Jesus, not just these flickering embers from 20 years ago. So let me ask you, how's your love for Jesus right now? How's your love for Jesus right now? I'm not asking you whether you enjoyed church. I'm not asking you what books you read. I'm not asking you in what way you're serving. I'm asking you, how's your love for Jesus right now? Do you long to spend time with him? Do you want to sit at his feet and listen to him? Do you want to be intimate with him? Do you want to enjoy him? Remember when the risen Lord Jesus met Peter on that beach after the resurrection, he asked the same question three times. He says, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Because Jesus cares more about whether you love him than what you do for him. He's way more concerned about your love for him than your deeds that you do for him. So do you love him? Such an important question. It's a vital question because according to verse 5, if we don't, if you don't repent, verse 5, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. The Jesus who holds his church in his hand says, if you stop loving me, if you don't repent, then this church will cease to exist. Oh, you'll still have buildings, but there'll be no spirit of God in them. You might have people, but there's no power of God. You might have programs, but there's no presence of God. So here's the correction. Here's what we need to do. And I, I, I am persuaded there are people here tonight who the Spirit of God is shouting at, saying, you don't love me like you used to love me. If that is you, listen up. Verse 5, consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Here's a correction. Three R's. Remember, repent, and repeat. Remember, repent, and repeat. Remember, repent, and repeat. He says, remember, remember how far you've fallen. Remember what life used to be like. Remembers is such a powerful tool, isn't it? The prodigal son remembered what life was like and went home. The, the people in exile remember what it used to be and went home. He's saying, look back on that time. Remember what your, your spiritual life, your love for Jesus used to be like. Do you remember times where you used to get excited by church? Do you remember times when you used to stand in church and sing with your, your heart pumping and you just wanted to do this and say, praise Jesus. 
remember a time when you wept over your sin because you were, you were cut to the core by the Spirit of God? Do you remember the time when you had deep joy at forgiveness? Do you remember those times? Don't you want that again? Remember, he says, and, and repent. Repent. He's, still, he's, he's talking to us as a church. Repentance is not just for the unbeliever, it's for the believer. Every single moment, every single day, we've got things to repent of. He said, if you stop repenting of your sins, you won't enjoy Jesus. But when you still realise that you're a wretched sinner, you'll, you'll see Jesus again saying, wow, Jesus, thank you that you love me. Remember, repent and repeat. Do the things you did at first, he says. That is, that is great advice for any human relationship. If you're struggling, think back to a time when that relationship was really good and do it again. If you wrote love letters, do it again. If you went for walks on the beach, do it again. If you bought gifts, do it again. Same as your spiritual life. Do you used to love getting up early for a devotion? Well, do it again. The battle for your devotional life starts the night before, doesn't it? Do you used to love journaling? Well, get out your old journals and reread them and just do it again. You used to love worship songs. Well, well, find your old worship songs from the 80s and 90s and 2000s. Put them on and sing to your heart's content. Just do it again. You used to love praying with somebody. Well, find someone to pray with and just do it again. Do you love telling people about Jesus? Well, maybe tomorrow start telling people again. Just do it again. What I'm asking, church, is do you long to have this this depth of intimacy and love and passion for the Lord Jesus that you once had because he cares way more about your love for him than what you do for him. Now here's the certainty, here's the promise. Verse seven. To the one who's victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Isn't that a great promise? To the one who is victorious, listen carefully, he's not saying you've got to do all this stuff and beat yourself up and be utterly exhausted. To be victorious, you just hang on to Jesus, cling on to Jesus, because he is the victorious one. He's the one who's won the victory, so hold on to him. If you're faithful to Jesus, if you love Jesus, if you keep running the race, you'll have the right, the privilege, the honour. You haven't earned it. You've been ushered in to eat from this tree of life, the tree that Adam and Eve were banished from, the tree that gives you eternal life in the paradise of God. That's the promise. So 7pm church, what would Jesus say about this congregation? He might say, wow, you're working really hard. And if that's true, then praise God for that. I think he might say, we're pretty discerning. Praise God for that. But my biggest fear, my honest fear as a pastor, is that way too many of us, way too many of us do not love Jesus the way that we once loved Jesus. I know it's true of me, and I'm guessing it's true of you. So remember, repent, and repeat. And let's recapture. Recapture what church is all about. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray.
you a moment to answer that question. How is your love for Jesus right now? Father, for those of us here whose love has grown cold, for those of us who have wandered, for those of us have done, who are doing so much good ministry and yet the fuel for our souls is not the Lord Jesus Christ. For those of us who are weary, for those of us who have abandoned Christ, Father, forgive us. Father, cause us to delight again, to be devoted again to our glorious Saviour, the, the risen, ruling friend who calls us his brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus Christ. So rekindle our love for him, I pray. In Jesus' name.